Good evening, everyone. Uh, a very, very warm welcome to our evening service. Uh, it's really lovely that we're able to gather together again today, uh, bring our hearts uh, and our minds and our affections uh, to the one who loves us. Uh, this evening, uh, Colin is continuing his uh, series on the foundations of faith, and we come to number five of six, uh, the perseverance of the saints. Um, so Colin will be uh, unpacking that uh, that idea to us this evening uh, and revealing how the whole Trinity is involved in the perseverance uh, of the saints. I look forward to uh, to that word from Colin. But before we start, let's uh, just take a moment uh, to still our own hearts. Uh, be mindful that we come into the presence of the one true living God uh, and pray that uh, he would draw us close to him and that we would hear him speak to us as we journey through the service. So let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great privilege uh, that it is uh, to be brought into a living relationship with you. And so, Father, we, we pray, we humbly request that this evening, by your Spirit and through your Word, that you might draw us to yourself. Uh, quicken our hearts. Quicken our minds also. Make us expectant. Speak to us powerfully this evening. Build us up and encourage us. And that we might offer you praise, thanksgiving and worship that honours and glorifies your name. In Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul, when he writes about the preeminence of Christ uh, in Colossians, he writes this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amazing truths that we have indeed been brought into that relationship with the one true living God through the most amazing uh, and costly sacrifice. Uh, that we have been brought to him, that we have been reconciled and peace has been established. Oh, those are some wonderful words that we've uh, just sung, aren't they? Uh, for all your goodness, I will keep on singing. Yet as we look back at the week that we've had, the day that we've had, maybe even the afternoon that we've had, uh, perhaps our hearts, our minds and our lives haven't really reflected of that truth. So it's good for us just to pause, uh, reflect on how we have been living, and just to come before the Lord to say sorry uh, for the times that we've lived in a way that we know uh, wouldn't, is not glorifying to who he is. So let's just take a moment of quietness now just to bring to mind the times when we've lived in a way that it's all about us rather than all about the one who has given us all things. And I'll say some words of confession. Heavenly Father, in our sin we have avoided your call. Our love for you is like the morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Have mercy upon us. Deliver us from judgment. Bind up our wounds and revive us. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
because of the amazing thing that Christ has done for us on the cross. Uh, We can know that we stand forgiven. So some words of comfort. Uh, May Almighty God, who sent his Son into the world to save sinners, bring us his pardon and peace. Might we know that within our hearts now and forever. Amen. The reading tonight is from the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once for all was entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn them for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom black, blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, 
prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupting flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray as we come to God's word together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would uh, truly open our ears and that we would hear your voice tonight. We pray that you would open our eyes to see you and that we would be transformed by you and that we would be reassured uh, of your love for us as we uh, hear your voice. And so we pray that you would help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you at times in life, but things can get really, really tiring, uh, very, very exhausting. I mean, different people have different challenges in their life in different seasons, in different chapters. And really the same can be true of our faith as well. Because the, the big question is, how do we keep going in the Christian faith? How do we keep going when things are really hard? Because life throws lots of different things at you. Like, how do you keep going when it feels like you are the odd one out in your workplace or maybe in your school? Or maybe even in your home, you feel like the odd one out. How do you keep going when it feels like the world is completely against you and pushing you to make compromises one thing after the next? How do you keep going or manage when you feel like you've blown it, when you've made a massive moral error? How do you respond to that? Is there a way back for you? Or maybe when you're just in a real pit of sadness, of darkness, of depression, 
when you think that the Lord just doesn't really care anymore? How do you keep going in the Christian life? What does God have to say about that? Because yes, God loves us now, but will he continue to love us day after day? Well, as we have that question on our mind, let us enter the topic of perseverance. As we continue in our series on the foundations of faith, we're looking at these six pieces. We've seen sin, new birth, the cross. Last week we looked at election. Uh, and this evening we're looking at uh, perseverance, uh, persevering in the faith, before concluding next week on providence, the doctrine of providence. When we say perseverance, we really mean that true believers in Jesus Christ will persevere until the very end. And this is often called uh, perseverance, but sometimes called uh, preservation of the saints, because it's God who preserves us to the very end. He is the one that keeps us. And this evening, we'll mainly be looking at uh, the book of Judas. Jill read to us there. Um, but I think there, is, there are two verses uh, from the book of Philippians, which really capture the essence of the topic perfectly. And, and those verses are just on the screen there. Uh, from Philippians 2, uh, verse 12 and 13, which say this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose because we continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to his good purpose so if we think of it in in those terms God will keep you to the very end because you work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. So firstly, you work out your salvation. As you look at uh, the Apostle Jude here, he wants to, to do a couple of things really in the book. He wants to, to warn about false teaching. That is throughout the letter. But he also wants to encourage Christians to just keep going. As he says later in the, in the book from verse 20 into 21, after having given all the warnings, he says, But you, you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. He wants to encourage Christians to keep going. To keep going by building themselves up and others in the faith. He wants to exhort Christians to grow deeper in their love, in their faith, and in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus. As it is our faith in Jesus that saves us. And the simplest way of building ourselves up are the fundamental building blocks of the Christian life. The ABCs. The Bible reading, meeting regularly, and prayer. To keep yourself in God's love means that you need to continually build yourself up in in healthy spiritual habits. If you want to grow in your faith and grow in the love of God, you need to, to know who God is. You need to know more of who he is through his word. And then another part of that is the element of meeting together. That we would regularly meet together, both in the morning and the evening, through the week, that we would encourage one another as much as we can 
in faith, in love. In Romans 1, Paul actually, he says he, he longs to be with the Christians there in Rome because he longs to impart to them some spiritual gift that they might be mutually encouraged by one another. And that's really the blessing of meeting with one another regularly, uh, being able to minister to one another. I saw it on, on Friday where people, it seemed, didn't really want to leave. And then this morning as well, just people really wanting to encourage one another to impart a spiritual gift, to be able to encourage one another in the Lord. That is such a blessing. And in a sense, as we return post-COVID, we want to encourage others to be part of that as well, that they would flourish and they would grow in their faith and so that they would impart a spiritual gift to encourage others in the Lord too. And that's the call of the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 10.25, as he calls on Christians not to neglect meeting with one another, but to encourage one another daily, to continually encourage one another in the faith. To meet with one another, to encourage one another, that they would grow in their faith and in their love, both for the Lord and for one another. And Jude also encourages Christians in verse 20 and 21 to grow stronger in faith, but also by doing so by praying in the Holy Spirit to keep yourself in God's love. To pray in the Holy Spirit is simply to pray. There is no other way to pray other than to pray in the Spirit. In other words, to build yourself up in the most holy faith, we are to to be in the Word regularly, daily if we can, to meet regularly as much as we can, and to pray often, to build ourselves up in the fundamentals of the faith, to have a healthy spiritual habit of growing in those good disciplines. Because really, when when you think about it, the, the Christian faith, well, it's not easy, but it is simple. The Christian faith is not easy, but it is simple. Doing the basics brings a sense of reassurance, brings a sense of security to your walk with the Lord. And so if you are reading your Bible and meditating on Scripture, if you're meeting regularly with God's people, finding ways to serve, to use your gifts as we hear the course on Thursday, fighting sin and temptation with prayer and with the Word, and building up your prayer life regularly with one another and with yourself alone. As you're doing all those things, then you will grow in faith and you will grow in a greater sense of assurance. Assurance that that God is with you because you work out your salvation. If If you're not doing that, then you will grow in a sense of insecurity. You won't grow as a Christian. You won't grow in maturity. And you'll be probably unsure of where you stand before the Lord. As interestingly, Jude says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt and goes to say to others to show mercy mixed with fear. And that is the the challenge and the tension between mercy and rebuke, between compassion and correction. And some people need to be comforted to be assured that the Lord really does love them that he has not turned his face away from them. And there are other people who need to be challenged, who need to be challenged that they are drifting away into a spiritual wasteland. And if they do not come back, then I don't know where they will end up. So we must be compassionate and yet at the same time challenge people because we love them. 
Therefore, we're called to, to work out our salvation and do so with fear and trembling. The letter of Jude is fascinating, as it really does cover these two big themes of encouraging Christians in the faith and rebuking false teachers. False teachers who claim to have faith, but don't. As he says at the very start of the book, in verse 4, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, uh, grace of our Lord into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude's warning really is to make sure that you do not associate with people like that. Do not sit under people like that. Do not listen to people like that. Because they are looking for a free pass to live immoral lives. As we think of assurance or we think of perseverance, it's perhaps the the notion or the phrase, grace abounds. Grace abounds and so we live as we please. And that's why the phrase sometimes that people use, once saved, always saved, is not helpful. Because it gives some people a false sense of of assurance. That they think that making a decision many, many years ago, they can live as they please today. It does not work like that. Because Jude is really addressing false teachers, those who, who claim to have faith, yet live as if they have none. He is addressing them and he is rebuking them. As he says in verse 8, they, these people, they follow their own dreams and they lead ungodly lives by rejecting authority. They reject ultimately the authority of the Bible, the authority of God's word in how they should live their lives. And instead, they substitute it for their own authority. And for us today, that, that might be the person who would claim to be a Christian and yet just get drunk every weekend and say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. Everyone else does it. So why can't I? Maybe it's the person who has sex outside of marriage and says, well, there's nothing wrong with it. Everyone else does it. Even though we're called to do so in the safety and security of the covenant of marriage. Or maybe people who, who call themselves Christians but act like unbelievers. They treat their wives, they treat their children, their friends, their colleagues, everyone around them badly. They treat them in an ungodly way. Because they may see Jesus as their saviour, but as Jude says, they, they pervert the grace of God. They pervert the grace of God and in so doing, they deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. You would expect Jude to say Saviour and Lord, but he says Sovereign and Lord. As the issue that the people may have is, it's not that Jesus is their Saviour, but that Jesus is their Lord. As Jesus is not really their final authority, they are their final authority. And yet before perhaps we point the finger at other people and think how terrible they are, we have to humbly examine ourselves do we live with jesus as our savior but not as our lord or maybe perhaps better is there an area of our lives where we see jesus as savior but not as lord are there some rooms in the hearts of our lives where jesus may not enter because yes he's savior but he is not lord 
in some parts of our lives? Is there a room where he cannot enter? We must unlock it and let him enter into it. That he would be the Lord of our lives in every part of our lives. Because if we deny him as Lord in our lives, then then Jude, he gives stark warnings. He gives warnings that if we consistently live ungodly lives that reject the grace of God, then we reject Jesus. And only judgment awaits. And so we, we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because there is a day of judgment. And therefore, in, a, in that way, in a sense of awe to God, we must regularly, humbly confess our sins to him. Not to try and earn our approval, but because we have it. We want to humbly come before him in reverence. That we may live holy lives for our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there are many people that teach things that are contrary to what God says. And Jude describes them in verse 12 and verse 13. He talks about them as shepherds who feed only themselves. He describes them as clouds without rain. And at the end of verse 13, he says that they are destined for judgment in the blackest darkness. He holds nothing back to false teachers. And so therefore the warning is to watch out for false teachers. Because they will devour you and deny the Lord. And therefore, we have to be wise and discerning. We have to be wise and discerning as the things that we, we listen to and watch on the internet. We have to be discerning about the books that we read, about the articles that people pass, pass us. We have to ultimately line it up with scripture. If it doesn't line up with scripture, get rid of it. Because false teachers will give you false hope. They will lead you not toward the Lord Jesus but away from him. And therefore we are to watch ourselves. Watch what we listen to, what we read, as we humbly examine our lives. Last week I quoted the 39 articles and also the London Baptist Confession. This week, to appease the Presbyterians, if there are any here, the Westminster Confession of Faith says it really well in chapter 18 on assurance of grace and salvation. As it gives a warning But it also gives a reassurance. It says, hypocrites, that is people that that say one thing and live another way, and unregenerate, that is people who are uh, not born again, hypocrites and other unregenerate men may deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions about their being in God's favor and about their being saved. Their presumptions will die with them. However, those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus, who honestly love him and try to walk in good conscience before him, may in this life be assured with certainty that they are in a state of grace, that they are in the Lord. They may also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and they will never be ashamed of that hope. Therefore, our call is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. In verse 3, as Jude writes, he he really wants to encourage the believers. He says in verse 3, Dear friends, 
Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once was for all entrusted to God's holy people. He wants to encourage Christians to not only press on in the true faith, but that that faith is not from themselves, but it is from the Lord. As we think of Ephesians 2, faith is a gift of God. It's not from ourselves, it is from the Lord. He gives it to us. It is a free gift of grace. As Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you. God began that work in you, and he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. As we saw last week in an election and this morning from Ephesians 1, God saves us freely by his sovereign will through the amazing work of the Trinity. As in, in love, God the Father predestines us to be his children before the creation of the whole world. He predestines us to be his. In love, he makes us right through the redeeming work of Jesus. And we are then sealed by the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our heavenly inheritance. The Father chooses us. The Son accomplishes that work on the cross. And the Spirit seals it. That we are his And this is the amazing work of the Trinity. It shows the power of God at work in our lives. As the Spirit not only seals us, that guarantees us that we are God's children and nothing can separate us from that, but it says also in Romans 8 that the Spirit himself testifies that we are God's children. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his in Romans 8, 16. And therefore, we have this objective assurance that we are gods but we also have the subjective experience that we belong to the lord as well because every time we pray we know that god is listening to us because we are his children and as jesus says in john 10 nothing can snatch us from his hand as gi packer says you are not strong enough to fall away whilst god is resolved to hold you You are not strong enough to fall away whilst God is resolved to hold you. Because if we really are born again, trusting in the Lord Jesus, then we can never lose our salvation. Yes, but you may know people who perhaps maybe after a short period of time or maybe after a long period of time appeared to be Christians and yet are no longer in the faith. How do we explain that? Well, there are two passages that speak about that in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to 6, it speaks of those who have been enlightened. That it is those who appear to be believers, as they to, to some degree have tasted the goodness of God, as it says. But in the end, they do not display the fruit of that repentance. They don't display a living faith as they were never truly converted. So that is Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6. And then the other passage is from 1 John. 1 John 2, verse 19, which says, They went out from us. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they are going 
showed that none of them belonged to us. As they were never truly born again of the Spirit. Because real faith leads to real change. We are grounded in that secure love. People may have had emotional experiences or maybe had a a time where they thought that God was with them. But the true understanding of what it means to be a Christian is repentance and faith to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus Christ. True conversion leads to transformation. And on that topic, one of the phrases that you hear quite a lot at the moment in Christian circles is the term deconstructionism. Deconstructionism. I wonder if you've ever come across it. It's a term which is, which is used by a lot of young Christians at the moment, especially as they are apparently deconstructing their faith. But one, one question to ask is, well, what is it they are deconstructing? What is it they, they, be, they believed in to begin with? Because I think when we think about what it means to be a Christian, we must be very clear with people what that is in our evangelism, that is in sharing our faith and in our discipleship, in growing in our faith. It really means that we must cover the weight of sin. We can't just skim over it, that people would easily respond, but we must be very clear with with people that it wasn't that we were not that bad and Jesus came into our lives. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we must speak about sin when we're sharing the Lord with people and growing in the Lord with them. We must speak about judgment too. Because the fear of God should ultimately prevent us from deconstructing, as they say. Because if we abandon Christ, then the only option left is judgment. There is no other option. We must grasp the truth that there will be a day of judgment. And in trusting in Jesus, we find salvation. He comes to us and we trust in him and are saved. Free gift through his work. And so we we must talk about sin to people. We must talk about judgment. And we must also give people a really big view of the Bible. Um, I think we saw uh, during the, the holiday club, Cal and Nathan did a superb job in those three days. And really, they helped the young people to have a really big view of God, not just a narrow view. Um, it's the, the view that we are made in the image of God, that he made everything out of nothing. We're made for friendship with him, but we rejected him. And therefore we receive, we should receive the punishment for our sins. But Jesus received that punishment on our behalf that we would be reconciled to God. Not only reconciled to him, but then he would come back and make all things new as he comes back to judge the living and the dead. It's far more than just saying Jesus saves we have to have a large view of who the Lord is as we, as we talk to young people, as we talk to people who are new in the faith, old in the faith. We want to let them grow in the full understanding of Scripture, that we see all of life through that, not just one little piece. And in doing that, we would, we would understand really what it means to have a, a saving faith, because saving faith is a faith that perseveres. 
And yet, maybe, maybe you're here this evening and you're not sure, or there's times in your life where you're just not sure if God really loves you. Well, what do you do in those moments? Look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look at the cross and see what Christ did for you. Because he will never stop loving you because he has done it. It is finished. Your sins have been paid for in full. That you would be a redeemed child of God, brought into the family of God and sealed by the Spirit of God. Recently I started reading a book by Dane Ortland, who also wrote the book Gentle and Lowly. In his recent book, Deeper, Dane speaks of the love of God held out to us in the Lord Jesus. As he says, that Jesus, it's as if Jesus says to us, I was punished so that you don't have to be. I was arrested so you could go free. I was indicted so you could be exonerated. I was executed so you could be acquitted. And all of this is just the beginning of my love. That proved my love. But it's not an end point. It's only the doorway into my love. Humble yourself enough to receive it. Plunge your parched soul into the sea of my love. There you will find the rest and relief and embrace and friendship your heart longs for. Because nothing can separate us from his love. The only thing we need to do is give Jesus our doubts, give Jesus our sins and receive his love. I would close to pray, but what I'm going to ask is if uh, maybe as we think about perseverance, it would be great maybe just to pray in small groups where we are. Maybe those who are on our hearts uh, that we would love to see perhaps come back to the Lord. Maybe they are grieving the Holy Spirit at the moment in the way that they're living. Or maybe we'd love to, to see people that we know come to know the Lord. Maybe we just want to reassure ourselves of the Lord's love for us. So let's spend a few minutes now just in your groups, maybe between four and six of you, or people close to you, just to pray. And then I'll close to pray maybe ten minutes or so. Let's, let's pray together. Uh, that brings us uh, to the end of our service this evening. Um, if you need prayer, then please do pray with uh, the person that uh, you came in with this evening or pray with uh, Colin uh, or myself. Uh, some words from Philippians, uh, Paul's prayer uh, for that church there and I think for us here today. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen.